So we finished Joshua last week. Um, we've gone through Genesis, Exodus, and Numbers, and Joshua. So today what I want to do is we're going to start... And what I have been wanting to do is a, a, um, a sermon series in the book of Revelation. But um, I've noticed everybody's doing Revelation now. I don't want to be a Johnny come lately here and look like I'm following the crowd. But I started reading through Revelation again. I've been trying to read through it frequently. And um, interestingly, I don't think it really... <clears throat> all of Scripture speaks to our current circumstance, whatever our current circumstance may be. Um, but as I was looking earlier at preaching through the book of Revelation, uh, my focus, and I think where we were at the time as a church and maybe as a, as a nation too, is spiritual warfare. And we're still um, in that great battle, of course. But um, the church I was at before, um, I started preaching in the book of Hebrews. And I looked, and it was in um, April of 2006, I started preaching through the book of Hebrews. I got about maybe halfway through, and then um, I left the church. It sounds awful, but, you know, it wasn't as bad as it sounds. And I came here. Um, So let's see if I can get more than halfway through it this time. And I thought about just picking up where I left off there, but that was a long time ago, so I wanted to start over again. So, of course, if we're going to preach, if I'm going to preach through the book of um, Hebrews, we start where we should always start, and that's with the prophet Habakkuk. So if you'll turn to the prophet Habakkuk, we're going to read that first. I know it's counterintuitive. Um, and then we're going to go to Hebrews, because what I want us to see is a, a, prophetic, a prophetic utterance during a time when Habakkuk, as the prophet of God, is crying out to God. On behalf of the people, I'm saying there is trouble in the land. There is, there is an enemy that is... No, he's crying out for revival. He is crying out that he sees his church. He sees the church, basically. He sees the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, and it has lost its way. Um, and we'll see his complaint as he cries out. And so then God responds... So we've been praying for revival for a long time. The, the entire church has been praying for revival. If you have to ask people, you know, what are you praying for? Praying for revival. So I've always said one thing is like, well, then revive. You know, start with yourself. Make sure you're revived because if you're, God's going to create a revival, he's going to begin, let it begin with us, let it begin with you. And then it also begins with prayer. And so we've all been praying that there would be a mighty work of God in the world. This is a mighty work of God. So what's God doing with it? And that's what... I want us to look at because um, I don't believe any pastor today has had God directly speak to him apart from scripture and say, this is what I'm doing. Go tell people. And um, there have been awful videos of different types of preachers on TV who are just commanding the virus to go away and speaking as if they are God himself and um, study your scriptures. You need to know the Lord and his ways. And so we're going to look at Habakkuk. I'm going to read the whole thing. And it's not that long. Um, and it's interesting. And we'll see that it has a lot to do with um, us and our land. And then the first three verses of Hebrews are going to set things into proper perspective. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. 
Uh, we thank you that you've spoken in times past by the prophets in many different ways at many different times. So, Lord, we thank you that you're speaking to us now by your Son in your scriptures, even through the Old Testament, because you've said these things bear witness of you. So help us to see you. Help us to see you in this world through what's happening right now as well. Help us to be a light. Help us to point people to Christ, to God. And we pray this. You be at the preaching of your word even now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we go to Habakkuk. It's okay to use your um, table of contents if you had to. And we're going to first see the complaint. Keep in mind our prayer. So this is the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. So again, this is the prayer of the prophet. This has been our prayer. Do something. Where are you? And then the Lord answers. And he says this to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told for behold I am rising up the Chaldeans your translation may say Babylonians but I believe what it is okay to do with this text this morning is to say what is the general principle in how God works and how God does things in the world in response to these prayers and what he has done in this instance in Habakkuk is he has raised up a great enemy against the people. And so I believe we can see a global pandemic as being a Chaldean type advance, a Babylonian type advance. We would not say that this virus is a good thing, just as you would not say the Chaldeans were good people, but they were used by God for a purpose. And certainly, God could stop this like that. God could have ceased it from occurring. So it's, it's quite um, accurate and appropriate to be able to say that ultimately God has sent this. And he is in control of this. And he will use this and does use this for his purpose. So let's look at how God uses this great enemy as we see being Presented to Habakkuk. He says, Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. In other words, they don't have any of it. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press on proudly. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like the sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. 
guilty men whose own might is their God. And at this point, we have to stop and say, also, how have we been the enemies to God? How have we maybe been, even as a church, to be one that is not after the things of God? but are being used instead and caught in a snare of Satan to do his will, that we have gotten so enamored by our own strength as we would see these men whose own might was their God. And I believe that might is being challenged today. No matter how strong we see ourselves, no matter how powerful we see ourselves, how smart, how whatever we are. Um, six feet is supposed to stop it. So we do anything. But our gods are being challenged. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. And what he's saying is, is the nation shall not die. That, that This is coming against the, the Old Testament church. It's coming against Israel. But you're not going to wipe everybody out because that's just not how you work. He knows the promises of God. He knows the the nation is supposed to continue. So we shall not die. O you, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And so he's seeing this as a, as a judgment. And you, O rock, and this is Old Testament, and we know Jesus Christ is the rock, you have established them for reproof. Now, has this virus come because of judgment for sin? Yes. I mean, you can't say no, because from the Garden of Eden, the world is cursed. This is just a part of that curse working itself out. Um, these things happen. Had the sin never entered the world, were we still in the Edenic um, paradise of God in the garden? There's no things like this can, can harm us. So this is a part of judgment. Is this a particular judgment for particular sins, for particular people, over a particular time? You know, that's what we're supposed to look at, is to say, no matter what you're going through, you know, am I going through trials, whatever they may be, because I haven't been faithful enough? It's like, you know, I mean, you're not the center of the universe. Things happen and sometimes we get caught up in them. But what you're supposed to do is say, have I been faithful enough? Am I loving enough? We're to examine ourselves in light of this. Trials come to the believer for the perfecting and trial of and, and, and the perfecting of our faith, for the purification of our faith. This makes us stop and think and it will make the world as well stop and think. And then he says, you, you mean it for a proof. Because what you're saying is, it seems like you're sending evil upon us. This does not seem good. You can't be in control of evil. You can't send evil with us. He says, I, mean, I know this in verse 11, because you are of purer eyes than to see evil. You cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors? So he's confused. He knows he's seeing one thing, but he knows another thing about God. And he says, why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up more? He swallows up the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And then he, this enemy, he, he brings them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices. He's clad. And therefore, he sacrifices to his net. And again, we have to ask, is this what we've done? Have we become so enamored with our power? Have we become so enamored with our wealth as seeing it as the blessing of God that we then sacrifice our nets? We worship our nets. We worship the work of our hands. And we have to be very careful. Now we haven't done that. 
Um, he makes offerings to his dragnet, and by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And so are we so blinded by our prosperity that we sacrifice ourselves to ourselves? Because prosperity, we do worship prosperity, even to the point that we see wealth of our nation in the United States as the greatest indication that God has shed his grace on thee. And then we complain when people come to God for health and wealth and security, the things that God provides. But sometimes he does other things. And we're going to look at that. So he says, I'll take my stand at my watch post, standing at the watchtower. I'll station myself here on the tower. I'm looking over everything and I'm going to look out and see what he will say to me, what God's going to answer this. And then I will answer concerning my complaint. So he's ready, just like Job. You know, let's hear what you got to say about all this. So the Lord answered me and he says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits his appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. So I think we're going to see some things you're going to see here for the last days. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. That's the gospel. Moreover, wine is a traitor. Now, it looks like this word could be wealth in the original writings, and I think it kind of makes more sense. Wealth is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as the grave. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him say? And now he's going to present five woes, and I'm not going to read through each of these, but we are going to hit each one. First, in verse 6, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Verse 9, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence of the earth, the cities of all who dwell in them. There's a God of wrath. And we still have a God of wrath. But we're going to look as we get to Hebrews. Verse 18. Verse 19 is the woe. And he goes, Woe says, I mean, 19 says, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. So you're worshiping idols. And then back in verse 18, he says, What prophet is an idol? When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless lies can this teach behold it is overlaid with gold and silver there's no breath in it at all but the lord is in his holy temple let the earth keep silence before him and what he's saying is is you're worshiping gods that can't speak you're worshiping gods that can't really do anything if god backs up and says just whatever nothing will prevail against 
the Lord. But these things can't speak. And you're talking to him and you're talking to him and you're praying to him and you're praying to him. And what he says is hush. And in Hebrew it's hush. Instead of your speaking to worthless, dumb, quiet idols, you be quiet and listen to the God who speaks. For God has spoken. And then you have this prayer that Habakkuk begins with here. And he says, Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. O oh Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. And that's a good prayer. In wrath, remember mercy. So we pray for mercy. We, we don't pray for justice. Because justice is everybody gets wiped out. Habakkuk prayed for justice. And God said, oh, I'll send justice. I'll send the Chaldeans and wipe all you guys out. That's justice. And then Habakkuk said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't mean that because you're a boy. Then he realizes what he's saying. And just like Job, as he utters cries against God to what's happening, he begins to recognize the fact that maybe God is different than he thinks. And that he has been very arrogant, like a beast before God. So he says, God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor, now this is, this is all foretelling Christ Jesus. It's going to take us right into Hebrews. His splendor covered the heavens. His earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays, like flash from his hand. And, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. Now, if you've been read the Revelation, this is Revelation. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted. This is about creation. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed Mashiach, your Messiah. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, just as a serpent's head was crushed, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. And then he says, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So he sees there's trouble coming. 
But he's waiting for the trouble to come upon the troublers of Israel. He is waiting for the day when the enemies of God will be destroyed. And he finishes with this. Habakkuk rejoices in the Lord. Now this is where Habakkuk rejoicing in the Lord knowing there are enemies coming. And yet he rejoices. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Now you might look at that and say, well, you're cursed. You don't have enough faith. But he says, I see these things. I see judgment. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. If you know Nathan Clark George, Google him looking up. He's, this is the I can't remember the name of this song, but it's, I think it's I will, but I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in God my Savior. It's an awesome song. I can't read this without hearing that in my mind. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Now this is, um, it says Yahweh, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places. And it closes, but it says, this is to the choir master with stringed instruments. It's meant to be sung. And then we go to Hebrews. And you go, just go to the book of Revelation, take a left, and you'll get there. It's a pretty larger book. You should be able to find it. It's just three verses. So with that in mind, we hear this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The word of the Lord. And said, so this is the Savior that came, that God sent. And he is here. So what is the purpose of this pandemic? And I was saying with, with Amy yesterday, we were listening to prayer. And it was a good time of prayer. And they were good prayers, but it's almost like... It's depressing me <laughs> because, you know, and I'm not mocking these prayers. These prayers are good, right prayers, but it's, oh God, we are so anxious. We are dying. We have people who are depressed. We have people who are it's like, yes, 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 yes. And we're to pray at all times for these things. With Thanksgiving, with Thanksgiving. So we have to keep that in the back of our minds too, that as we see the storm around us, there's Jesus Christ saying, step out of the boat, step out of the boat. And Peter trusted and he wanted to go further, so he stepped out onto the sea. So he's here and he goes. And it's the focus on the problems, taking its eyes off Jesus that causes the sea to engulf him. But God has spoken. And it says here is. God spoke at me ways many times. 
And so it's all these various times and various ways, all these things that God has said, and you kind of have to take them and you put them together. And over time, you start to see this progressive revelation in the scripture. Even a lot of times the prophets didn't completely understand what it was. They were actually prophesying as it comes to Christ. And, and so you have all these things in types and shadows in the Old Testament. And then the reality comes and Jesus comes. And it's like, you want to see God? You want to hear about God? You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. And he says, he has spoken these, in these last days. He has spoken to us by his son. Now, in the, in the original language, in the Greek, that word his isn't there. It's just, he has spoken to us by son. Which some people are like, oh, maybe the word his was implied or it got left out somehow or something. But if you, a lot of this I follow A.W. Pink. has a huge commentary on, on this stuff. And he, he says, and I think he's right, that he's saying this is how he has spoken to us. He's spoken to us by son in this way that what more tender relation could God have to us but as a true son? And that's how he has manifested, manifested himself to us. So all that God has to say to us, he has spoken in his son. He humbled himself. And that's God speaking to us. He lived perfect life. And that is God speaking to us. He, he performed miracles. And that's God speaking to us. He brought people from the dead. And that is God Speaking to us. He healed the sick and the blind and the leprous. And that is God speaking to us about who he is. He died for us. And that's God speaking to us. And he was resurrected for us. And that is God speaking to us. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he's praying for us. And that is God speaking to us. Now to the world, the cosmos, this world system, to the ungodly, to the non-believer, he will speak in judgment. And we have to keep this before us. And to his church, he has spoken in the most tender way possible. Unto you is born this day a what? A judge, a savior, who is Christ Jesus, the Lord. And the book of Hebrews takes him who is at the center of the gospel. In the Revelation, he is at the center of the throne room. Concentric circles. It's a throne where all of creation surrounds and at the center of all is the throne of God. If the land, lamb stands as slain, is there. He's at the center of all that is. Everything in all creation for him and through him and to him is everything. Surely to God alone be the glory. From him and through him and to him. Is everything. Christ is at the center of all things. And so we have to say, should he not therefore be at the center of our lives? Jesus is in control of this global pandemic. He is in absolute, total control of every microscopic, subatomic particle that ever could, did, will exist. So what is his purpose in it? And to understand that at all, we have to first understand who is God. Is he mean? Is he angry? Is he just capricious? Whatever. He doesn't care about us anymore. He's like some guy up there that burns ants with a magnifying glass. Shame on you children for doing such as that. 
He was born in the manger. And he became a servant. He died a cursed death on the cross for us. That's who God is. He's the sustainer of the universe. He's the creator of the universe. He is all these things. So if you look in the first thing he tells us in Hebrews is he is appointed heir of all things. Now one of these pages I have heir he is heir of all things. And this is what I say. And this is why we don't have more people in our church right now. He is the heir of all things. Now what the heir means is he, he inherits everything. And then we're also told that we are co-inheritors. That we inherit with him. The reason he becomes the heir of all things is so that we can have everything. So that we can have heaven. And we can have salvation and then he goes on and he says, through whom he also created the world. So he is the creator of all things. So he has created absolutely everything that is. Everything that is. He spoke into creation. At the time of creation, Jesus Christ was there. It was created for him and through him and to him or all these things he upholds. So he goes on. He created the world. And that word for world is actually eons. He created the ages. He created everything. Everything that was in time. Everything in time. Everything that was. Everything that is. Everything that will be. God has Jesus Christ. God created through his son these things. And then he is the radiance of the glory of God. So you can't separate the radiance of the sun from the sun. Why is the sun so bright? Because it radiates light. That's what it does. But if it didn't radiate light, we would never be able to see the sun. But you can't separate the sun from the radiance. And this is the same thing with Jesus Christ. And I'm talking about the sun in the sky. But if we didn't have eyes to see, it would be just as bright. And the God of this world has blinded our eyes to keep us from seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And then God says, let there be light. Let them see. He gives us hearts. And that's why we see the glory of God. That's why we seek to glorify God among other people who can't see him. But Jesus Christ is that radiance of the glory of God. All these things we see about the radiance of God, his humility, his humbleness, his, his healing, his sacrifice for us, him coming to save himself. The heavens declare the glory of God. Jesus' creation declares the glory of God. But Jesus coming as, as, as sacrifice. That's something else that we don't see. And that's a radiance of the glory of God. It's part of what makes God so glorious. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And that word for exact imprint is um, character in Greek. And it's that impress. It's like if you had a, they would use the, the signet ring and a piece of and the wax and you'd press it in and it has a perfect, so you can see the wax imprint and know exactly what that ring looked like. And so, I don't know, the reason, what came to my mind as I did this at home, I thought, oh yeah, it's like in Home Alone, like when Mort, Morty, was that the guy's name? He like grabs 
you know, he's trying to get Kevin McAllister, and he's heated the the um, the the, the um, doorknob up, which I think would burn down the house. So don't do it. So the guy grabs the doorknob, which I didn't think about until I was thinking about this, because it has an M on it, of course. It's like those are. How many of you have your the letter on your doorknob? I want a doorknob with a B on it. So it's like I heat it up, and it's like the guy grabs it. Yeah, he screams, and it's got the M on it. And then hold on, two, I think it is. He's like he sees it's still there, the M. So he, you know what the doorknob looks like from being on his hand. That Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of God's character. So you know God's character exactly by looking at Him. And so. What's the character of Christ? And so we think, what would, you know, we want to be like Jesus. It's like, okay, so what does that mean? You want to be all holy? You want to be all judgmental? Well, how did God act around sinners as Jesus Christ? Because I think what Jesus does is image for us how, you know, if God was a man, which he was, how would he act? And that's how we're supposed to act. I think sometimes when we think about as being Christians and we're supposed to be God-like, we don't think about being Christ-like. God-like is, I am bow down to me all who, you know, that kind of thing. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came, humbled himself, washing feet, um, praying with sinners, telling, go and sin no more. Humbled himself, crying and weeping with people. Um, just having these human emotions that are, that are compassionate and caring and, 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 and grieving in this. This is what we should be like if we're going to be like God as Man, and that's what we're supposed to be being made into. He's the exact imprint of his character. So you want to be like Jesus? Keep the Ten Commandments. Well, that's the law. Yeah, the law is the exact imprint of the character of God. It's like you want to, you know, don't lie, don't chill, don't chill. I think you should chill. Don't don't steal though, and don't don't covet. Don't do these things. Worship the Lord thy God and Him alone with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. The summary of the law. That's what we're supposed to be, to be like Christ. The law representing the very nature of God. So we're to behave in these ways. We don't use it as for salvation. That's by faith alone in Christ alone who we're going to see next what he does. But he's the exact imprint of his nature and then he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now that word there is... Um, paton, and it really means all things. And if you look up in verse 2, he says, He appointed Christ the heir of paton, all things. And now it says, He upholds paton, ta paton, all things. Well, you can see where they would use the word universe, because you don't want it to be limited to certain things we might think of. But He upholds everything. By the word of his power, by his powerful word. Jesus Christ is the one that does this. Jesus Christ is who the Bible says is the son of God who is upholding all things by the word of his power. He is therefore in control of a global pandemic. He's in absolutely control, absolute control of a global pandemic. And so we can look at these things and say, think of the most awful things that happen and Jesus is in control of it. And it's like, yes. And there are many things he sees and God sees and he hates. And he will set it all right. But it's somehow the nature of living in a cursed world that we brought upon ourselves for God to be able to demonstrate his justice and his wrath, which he does on the cross, so that we could be redeemed and that we could be 
brought closer to Him. So it's a very difficult thing to grasp in your mind, but with Habakkuk we have to be able to say, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You must mean this for good purpose. I can't understand how it could possibly be a good purpose. And it is a bad thing. The Chaldeans were bad people used for God's purposes. Sinclair Ferguson says God uses sin sinlessly. So God is using this awful thing sinlessly. But we either have to say Satan is in control or God is in control or nobody is in control. And if nobody's in control, then whatever. If Satan is in control, then we're without hope. If God is in control, then pray. Pray to the God of the universe who upholds the universe, all things by the word of his power. And though the fig tree fail, though the crops will not give strength, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, for he is good. And then he goes on, he says, and then after making purification for sins, and this is why he came, to cleanse us, to purify us, to sanctify us. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to this. The sacrifices, the day of atonement, the prophetic office, the prophetic, the priestly office, the kingly office, the laws, the covenants, the heavens, the tree of the good knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, all pointed to the sacrificial love of Christ that he has to redeem his people, his church. And that is the radiance of the glory of God. That is the character of God, grace and mercy. And since the cross... We also see his justice and the terrifying nature of his holiness. And that's what we miss. The terrifying nature of God's holiness and how far from it we fall. So in the filth of our fallenness and sin, we cannot and must not rail against him in his presence. And we can't even stand in his presence in our filth. So we must be clothed with Christ. Our robes washed by the blood of the Lamb. 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then it says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And He is finally exalted. There are no chairs for the priests in the tabernacle. They stood. Their work was never finished. Jesus on the cross says, Tetelestai. It is finished. He's done. He can sit. It is finished. And God has spoken by His Son. Heir, Creator, Image, Sustainer, Redeemer, seated on high, making intercession for us. This is our God. He has spoken also by the prophets that bear witness to Him. This is the God that we have. And He says... Humble yourself. He says, think of other people as more important than yourselves. He says, repent of your sin. He says, trust in me. He says, make disciples of all nations. Follow me. He says, I am upholding the universe. All things by the word of my power. So no matter what befalls us, we have God's in control. So we pray that he gives some doctors, scientists, something, somewhere, a spark of inspiration that causes this thing to say, there's a cure. There's, there's, there is a cure. There is a, a, um, a vaccination. 
But they, these things are, are there. We just have to figure them out. God's already provided it. So we pray that he would do this quicker. We pray for those who are sick, that by his spirit, that he would sustain them and hold them. We pray for well-being. We pray for the kingdom of God to come. And he'll answer those prayers too, but he'll answer his prayers perfectly. We all know that if God, if he was a genie and we gave every request to him and he answered them just like this, we would mess everything all up. So we know. And, and if God didn't tell us to pray in the word, then we'd be foolish to pray. I'm just like, you know, whatever. I'm not even going to pray. Like God's got it. That'd be all you say. God's got this. But he says, you pray and you work and you evangelize and you get on your knees and you struggle and you perspire and you God doesn't download the matrix into our heads. He even in his son learned obedience through things he experienced. We have an experiential reality. And what God wants us to do is to go through this time learning more about him being his representatives on this earth by representing Jesus Christ in the way that Jesus Christ did it. If Jesus were here and Jesus were to say, stop, be still, it's still. We don't have that power, but we have access to the throne room of God. And he is a very present help in times of trouble. He has not promised to keep us out of problems, but he has promised for the believer he will be present with you in times of distress. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you have, you could just, this could be the end and everything is wiped out. It doesn't have to be, every, lots of people now are saying, looks like the Lord's coming back. Well, yeah, you're coming back. Looks like we're living in the last day. But yeah, Hebrew says we've been living in the last days since the resurrection of Christ after the cross. We're in the last days. People are saying, it looks like the tribulation is coming. We're in the tribulation. Different people in the world have been experiencing it much greater depths than us. So Lord, help us just to be sustained and help us to help sustain others. As you are merciful to us, help us to be merciful to others. Help us to, if others can't pray, help us to pray. Help us to remember that we've been given so much in order to use it for good. Help us to remember you're with us. You're for us. We're to take our anxiety and cast it on you because you care for us. So help us to know how to proclaim that to a watching world that will see the way we love one another, the way we love them, the way we even pray for our enemies. Lord, help us not to desire evil to befall on our enemies, but that you would descend with grace and the world would know you. You have sent this as a warning shot. You sent Jonah to Nineveh, and he didn't even want to speak the message of destruction because he knew you would cause them to repent from it. So, Lord, we pray that many would be brought to their need to worship you in this, that we would know you are God, that we are to be silent because you are in your holy temple. We pray this in Christ's holy name.